Hunter Hupp may be from Pennsylvania, from Philadelphia area, but I think his favorite quarterback is a backup quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This Tampa Bay quarterback from the um, backup quarterback has ties actually right here to Missouri. But Hunter Hupp and his parents were uh, just two and a half weeks ago on December 29th were in Florida having some time off and they got on one of these helicopter tours around the Tampa Bay area. And as they were flying about 300 feet from the airport, they had a crash landing into the hill, into Hillsborough Bay, into the ocean. It just so happened at that time, the backup quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Blaine Gabbert, uh, who played here at the University of Missouri, was out riding his jet ski. When they saw the what looked like something in the water, like a boat was going down, they turned their jet skis around. Gabbert put two of the people... Hunter Hupp and one of his parents on his jet ski. His brother put one of the other parents on his jet ski. The water patrol finally just showed up to get the helicopter pilot. They all made it safely. But what do you do when you have a crash and you're needing survival and someone comes and saves you? How do you respond to that person? Well, let me ask it this way. How are you responding to the God who sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and die on the cross to take the punishment, the penalty for your sin, and he rose again from the dead? And now this God who has forgiven us of everything and secured heaven for us adopted us into his family. How do you respond to a God that does that for you? The one true God. I think we respond to him in faith, but we respond to him in love. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to pick up together in verse number 25, Luke 10, 25. Get your device out today or your Bible out today because we don't get the verses on the screens. So get them out and uh, Luke 10, 25. It says this, then an expert in the law stood up to test him, test Jesus, to stood up to test Jesus saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus asked him, how do you read it? What's written and how do you understand it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. And God, may we be people who are challenged to be people who love you. In your name we pray, amen. As we look at Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25, we find this expert in the law, a lawyer coming to Jesus, and he's not coming to ask a question with an honest approach. It really gives us the picture that he is coming to test Jesus with a question. 
This is a question because he wants to test Jesus or trick Jesus into saying something wrong. So he asked them the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? What kind of good works can I do in order to get to heaven and have eternal life? And Jesus, who was accused of being a lawbreaker, turns around and tells him, what does the law say? And so this expert in the law, this lawyer knows what the law says, and he takes two different passages, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, where it talks about loving God, and Leviticus 19, 18, where it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself, and he puts them together. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind, and we are to love our neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says, hey, that's a great answer. Now go do it. And the picture is, do it, but you have to do it perfectly, completely, flawlessly, and then you can inherit eternal life. Well, the obvious predicament here is, is no one has ever, and no one can ever, nor will anyone ever love God perfectly and love their neighbor as their self absolutely flawlessly. No one can do that. That's why in the next verse it says, and the lawyer wanting to justify himself asked the question about who his neighbor is, and we'll look at that next week. But what we find here is that this guy's coming and saying, what must I do? And Jesus is pointing and saying, it's not about what you can do. I've shared many times, there are so many people who think that getting to heaven is like getting put on an old time scale. And if the good things I've done outweigh the bad things, then I'm going to make it to heaven. And Jesus is saying, no, if you don't love God perfectly and you love your neighbor as yourself flawlessly, you're not going to make it. So, as you have to suffer through trying to figure out my blanks and filling in blanks without PowerPoint today, let me just remind you, what is Jesus doing? In the context, Jesus shows us that no one can really keep the Old Testament law. He's showing us that no one can perfectly keep the Old Testament law. No one can keep it. No one can love God perfectly. No one can love their neighbor flawlessly because we all are sinners by nature and by choice. And so Jesus here is really revealing to this man that that's why I'm here, because everyone needs Jesus. So he's revealing that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus dies. That's why Jesus is the one who provides forgiveness of sin. So the picture is for us is no one can keep loving God perfectly, loving their neighbor flawlessly. So Jesus came to die on the cross to take the punishment for our sin. That's what Jesus' ministry is all about. But there is something true here that we see in this command, that Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 37 would say that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he would say that this is the first and greatest command. So even though... We don't love God in order to try to earn our way to heaven or love others in in, in order to try to earn our way to heaven. We're still called to love God. But we do not do it to try to climb up a ladder of what I'm doing, of good works. Instead, for those of us who know Jesus 
and know that he rescued us from sin, has forgiven us. He died on the cross and rose again, has provided the way of salvation. We're called to love him, not to earn our way to heaven, but because he has already paid our way to heaven. Because he has already given his life as a sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. So we are still called to love God. And that's where we're going today. Because when we think about living a life on mission, we talked about last week, we're going to continue this theme. We're talking about living on mission, doing good works for God. Well, what's the greatest command? To love God. So as we think about that, two challenges for us today. First off, we are to seek to love God. Seek to love God. That's our challenge in life. God is relational. He created us as relational beings. And because he has created us as relational beings, we are unique from all of the the other creation. God has a personal relationship and a personal walk with us. He is personal, so we should seek to love him because this call to love is a personal call. Now, notice with me as, as we look at this passage, as we think about this, to love God is a personal call, that's A. Notice what he says, love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. You are to love God, your heart. This is personal, right here with me. Do you know how many people in the Bible are recognized because they loved Jesus in the Gospels? Think about it. As we think about the Gospels, who's commended for loving Jesus? You could look at the, 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 the Gospel of John written by the, uh, uh, the Apostle John, the, the, who was there with Jesus, one of the, the original disciples. And John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. But it never shows that or says that John loved Jesus. We, we can look at Nicodemus, who heard that great sermon in John three sixteen for God so loved the world. Could you imagine being there and having Jesus share that with you personally? How awesome that would be. But it doesn't tell us in the scripture that, Jesus, that Nicodemus ever shared his personal love. It, doesn't, it just doesn't say that. He may have, but it doesn't say that. Jesus healed people. He healed 10 lepers and only one came back to say thank you. And he said thank you and was grateful, but it doesn't say that he loved Jesus. The disciples, it doesn't say that they loved Jesus. I mean, Simon Peter was put on challenge. Do you love me? And he says, well, Lord, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that, that I phileo you. Yeah, I, I, I'd love you. That's post the cross. But I'm thinking pre-cross. Who says and affirms that they love Jesus? There's only one person. She's found in Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and following, there's this there's this story of Jesus coming to the house of Simon, who's a Pharisee, and they don't offer him any, anything to wipe his feet or anything like that. And this sinful woman comes in, and she washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And in Luke seven forty seven, it says this, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. And then in verse number 50 of Luke 7, it says that, Go, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. One person before the cross affirmed for loving Jesus. And she recognized her sinfulness. And because of that, she wanted to share her personal love for Jesus. As we think about our personal love for Jesus, there's three aspects to that. First off, we recognize that it is responsive 
It is responsive. So that our love for Jesus is responsive. That we're responding to his love for us. 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Who took the initiative? God did. What about our life? Can I, take, can I just take the initiative to love God? Well, you know what that says about your life in Romans chapter 3? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. There's none who seeks after God. On our own, we don't seek after God. It's only God's spirit moving in us that even brings us to the place where we want to look and, and get close to or learn about God. That's, God's, that's the work of God's spirit. So we find here that it is responsive. 1 John four nineteen says this. We love him because he first loved us. Go back and look in the scripture. After Adam and Eve sinned, did they go looking for God? Nope, God took the initiative and went and looked for them. It was responsive. They respond. God takes the initiative. And I will tell you today, if you know Jesus as your savior, it is because God took the initiative. Maybe through people in your life, maybe through a family, maybe through friends that brought you to youth group, whatever it was, God always takes the initiative. Our love for him is responsive. Secondly, our love for him is to be submissive. It's to be submissive. That means that that we surrender to his will and direction for our life. That means that we give up our rights. We surrender. We're a living sacrifice. We become part of his family. He calls the shots. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. We're the child, he's the father, so that we submit to him. There's a story over in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul is told to go fight the Amalekites, and as Saul goes to fight the Amalekites, God says, look, I want you to to wipe them out, and I don't want you to save anything. And so Saul goes off and defeats the enemy, and Samuel comes back to meet him, and he says, hey, Samuel, look at me. I've done a good job here. I've done everything the Lord told me to do. And Samuel says, why, why do I hear the, the lowing of cattle? Why do I hear the bleating of sheep? Not bleeding as in blood, but bleating. The bleating of sheep. And Saul said, oh, well, well let me just tell you. Man, there were some really good cows out there. Some really good cows, and there were some really good sheep. And, and listen, I just wanted to save all of those as a sacrifice to the Lord. I'm not really keeping them for me. Instead, I want to save them for the Lord. And Samuel speaks to this to him in 1 Samuel 15. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look. To obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination or like the sin of witchcraft. And defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. You know what he's telling Sam? Samuel's telling Saul? Look, God doesn't want you to go do your own thing and say, oh yeah, I'm going to make my sacrifice over here. God wants you to submit to his will. Jesus would put it this way in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Submit to God's will. But there are some out there who think, you know what, I'm going to do this over here. And though it's shady or sinful, what I'm going to do next is I'm going to give a little bit more to the church because of what I did over here. Or I'm going to mess around with this over here and it's, it's shady and it's sinful. But now I'm going to volunteer to do a little something for the church to make up for it. And God says, listen, 
That's not authentic. That's not real. To obey is better than sacrifice. Our love for God is responsive, but our love for God is submissive in that we're following his direction. Thirdly, our word, our love for God is active. Our, our, our love for God is active. That means this. That in everything I do in life, everything I do in life, I live like I love God. Now, this is not pretend like I love God, but in everything I do, I live like I love God. When I go to work, I live like I love God first. He's my provider. And and when I go to school, I live like I love God. When I'm in my community, I live like I love God first. He's the priority. He's number one. And my highest call, the first and greatest commandment, Jesus would say, is to love the Lord your God. And so, as a personal responsibility with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I am called to live an active life in which I'm doing everything in life that I'm doing, but I'm doing it with a heart and a love for God. That should change how I live at work. That should change how I live at school. That should change how I act in traffic. That should change how I act in my community. I love God. I'm submitted to his will. Can I tell you, let's just, let's just bring it home. Literally bring it home. In my marriage, I'm to live like I love God first. Our spouse comes number two. We love God first. We love God first. We love our spouse second. And we're going to love our spouse a lot better. Romans 5, 5 tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart through the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. And when I'm in right relationship with him, I can love my wife a whole lot better than I can love her on my own. When it comes to my children, they get the bronze medal here of love. God gets the gold. Spouse gets the second. Our children, they're third. Now, what has happened in our society, and listen, you all know people like this. A lot of times, children get brought up to A number one. And so that our life now revolves around entertaining and, 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 and moving in the areas in which our children want to do without regard for our love for God or what's best for our marriage. That's a challenge. That's a challenge for us. And let me just tell you, if you are tempted to put your children first in life through their pursuits and their direction, are you vicariously living through them? Let me tell you what, what's going to happen. When you move your children up here to the top and you teach them how to be an idolater because you've put them before God, then they have a front row seat on how to be an idolater and they'll grow up. And they'll be an idolater as well. There's a real challenge here. When we lead our family, we live and lead like we love God first. Guys, this falls on us. This is, this is to us. 
we live and we lead like we love God first. That means making some hard decisions sometimes in our marriage. When our spouse wants to do something that maybe we're not, we, we say, no, I, we love God and we've got to go in this direction. Or sometimes we have to say no to our kids and they have some good pursuits out there. There's some, some neat things out there. And listen, the, 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 the world, the flesh, the enemy, the devil will use anything to keep them away from loving God first. And he'll use anything to keep you from loving God first. So you better be careful. You better lead like you love God first. And when you lead like you love God first, then it'll make a difference in your family. Listen, there's no guarantees for anybody here on how their children are going to turn out. But this is what I do know, is when, when we don't love God first, and we set that example in our home, it's a lot easier. What seemed unnecessary or unimportant in our life, it becomes irrelevant in our children's lives. We love God. It's a personal call. Secondly, it's not only a personal call, but it is a comprehensive call. When we think about loving God, it's a, B, it's a comprehensive call. We are to love the Lord God with all, all, all of our heart, all of our, our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind. There, there's this comprehensive aspect to it that says all of us, all of our heart. Did you know in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart is the core of who you are. When you think about your soul, you're thinking about your mind, will, emotions. Jesus would say in Matthew 26, 38, how his soul was grieved even unto the point of death as he's anticipating the cross. There's this sense of, of his, his emotions as he's, as he's going before the Lord, knowing that his life is going to be laid out as a sacrifice. All my heart, all my soul, all my strength, that's my, my activation. That's my that's the the, the power of of my life. That's the power of my being the strength of my life. And then with all my mind, that's my intellectual life. I'm to love God. And then thirdly, or C, we find that this is not just the personal call and a comprehensive call, but it's the primary call. Jesus would say in Matthew 22, 38, this is the first and greatest Command to love God first. If that's the first and greatest command, could it be that the worst of sins is not loving him first? If that's his first command and we break that, could it be that that's the worst of all sins? Oh, we could look out in the community and we could read the newspapers and we could do a lot of things and say, man, there's a lot of bad sins out there. Do you know where they all stem from? People don't love God first. And when they don't love God first, then they put another God in that place. And that's why they do what they do. Well, we're to seek and to strive to love God. But as we seek and strive to love God, there's an enemy that comes in. And there's an area that's the complete opposite that we have to avoid, and that is that we have to strive to fight apathy. We have to strive to fight apathy. The opposite of not loving God is that you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to hate God. That's not going to happen. I mean, we, we all know 
Hey, God loves us. God sent his son. The issue in my life is not that I'm going to wake up and, and hate God tomorrow. The issue in my life is that I'm going to get cold and indifferent and stagnant in my spiritual life. That it is going to become lifeless. And when my spiritual life becomes lifeless and I'm not loving God anymore, let me just tell you, that unleashes chaos as I lead my home. That unleashes chaos as I walk in my marriage and as I lead my family and as I try to, to try to get everything else lined up in life. When I'm not loving God first, it's kind of like this. If you ever guys or ladies gone to button your shirt and you miss the first button, it doesn't make any difference how you button it. If you button the first one wrong, they're all wrong. They're all wrong. You get that first one, you know, high on one side and you go down, you can get all the other. There's something wrong. When, when you don't have loving God first, and apathy creeps in, things are going to go wrong. So I have to ask, how's your relationship with God? I want to ask you four questions as we think about apathy and our relationship with God. First off, do you have unconfessed sin in your life? If your spiritual life feels cold and indifferent and stagnant right now, let me ask, is there sin in your life? Psalm sixty-six, eighteen says, if I regard sin in my heart, God won't, e- won't even hear me. Matter of fact, 1 Peter 3, 7 says, if, if I'm not treating my wife right, God will shut up his ears to my prayers. Now, that's something. The issue is, do I have unconfessed sin? I heard the story years ago about uh, the old guy had to, had a truck, and man, he was dating and just newly married, and and his wife was scooted right over next to him in that truck, and she'd put his, her arm around his arm as he was driving along, and now it's 40, 50, 60 years later, and she's over there on her side of the seat kind of hanging out the window. and She says, hey, do you remember... When we would ride in the truck and, man, I'd scoot over close to you and, you know, I'd grab onto your arm. And sometimes you'd put your arm around me when you were driving. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Do, do, you, do you remember sometimes we'd even sneak a kiss at the stoplight? You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. We were so close then. And she says, what happened to us? And the old man says, well, I ain't moved. And he looks over. And there's all this distance between him and his wife. Can I tell you today? God ain't moved. And if there's unconfessed sin in your life, it means that you've moved from him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Second question. Are you practicing spiritual disciplines? When was the last time you opened your Bible and spent not just five minutes, but you spent some substantial time with the Lord? When was the last time you got down on your knees and really cried out to the Lord? I mean, you prayed. Okay, maybe you're not on your knees, but there's something about being on your knees that just shows the desperation and humility that we feel before him. When was the last time? Are you faithful in your church attendance? Listen, when this stuff isn't in our life, then it just helps us to grow cold. And 
Man, when you start to grow cold in your, in your love for the Lord, can I tell you, the world offers you a million, billion things to do. Are you practicing spiritual disciplines? Third, do you have misplaced priorities? Are there misplaced priorities in your life? Are there misplaced priorities? Too much, too much work? Too much thinking about money? Are there misplaced priorities? Too much about me? Too much about somebody else and not enough focus on the things of the Lord? Are there misplaced priorities? Fourth question is this. What are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your mind with? Love the Lord your God. It's hard to love the Lord my God when I'm filling my mind with constant phone, computer. It's, it's hard to love the Lord my God fully with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength with all the noise going on around me. It's hard to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength when I spend hours watching mindless TV as a diversion. It's hard to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength when I'm allowing pornography to seep in. It's hard to love the Lord my God when when I allow all this external stuff and I'm constantly looking at the next thing to buy or to sell, or I've got to get this to keep up with these, and I've got to wear this to look like this. And all of that stuff begins to fill up our mind. But not only on the external side of this stuff out here filling up my mind, there's an aspect of self-talk too. That I begin to look at my own self and I fill my mind up with things like, I'm not as pretty as she is. I'm not as smart as he is. I'm not as strong as he is. My parents didn't buy me as nice a car as they bought him. I have to go and, and work a job that is not my favorite. I don't make as much money as I would want to, and I must be a loser. I can't provide the way I want to. And there's this self-talk on the inside that constantly beats us down. And when we allow the external things of the world, and then we allow this internal self-talk to go on, that I'm not as good as anybody else, what happens is, is we, we become filled with that. We grow complacent in our walk with the Lord instead of being a conqueror with Christ. He says you're an overcomer. Jesus overcame. It says that you've been raised from the dead with Christ, that you're alive. That, that now the God's spirit lives in you. That your name is written in heaven. But all I can think about is I don't feel like I'm as good as this person. And when I allow that self-talk to go in in my mind, it's going to drive me further from God. Because ultimately what I'm saying is, God, you just didn't make me good enough. God, you don't take care of me enough. Are you complacent? I, uh, something about the winter time that I just remember as a child, I used to kind of collect stamps. And so I just got some old stamps out and looked at them, uh, over the last couple of days. And while I was looking at stamps. I, I was thinking about some coin stuff as well. And I, I don't have coins. Uh, but do, do you know the first coin that was minted and circulated in the United States was 
1787. And it was called a, uh, a fugio scent. And, and the word means, uh, fugio means to flee or to fly. And, and the picture on it is, is as, as you look at this fugio scent, it was time flies. Time flies. They didn't have pictures of the founding fathers on those coins. The founding fathers were still in the process of founding. They were still alive and still working at that time. And they didn't have neat slogans like, in God we trust. But this 1787 Fugio scent had something written on it that I found absolutely unbelievable. And when I read a little bit about it, I had to go on the computer to make sure that this, this wasn't even, uh, that this was really genuine. The Fugio scent from 1787, first minted and circulated coin, widely circulated coin, the Fugio scent says three words on it as the slogan. We take it a little bit different than they did 230 plus years ago, but it said this, mind your business. Now, we think of that in the terms of mind your own business. You know, it's my money, mind your own business, but that's not what this meant at all. It was a Fugio scent, which means time flies. Mind your business, said, be a good steward. Take care of your money. Keep watch over your household. Manage well. So it said, mind your business. Keep careful watch. I could think of no better thought for us as we wrap everything up today and we step into our invitation and reflection time than to say this. Time flies. Some of you look back and Man, years have gone by and it's gone fast. Mind your business. And your business is not to live to accumulate. Not to live to make all the people around you happy. Your business is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. Time flies. Mind your business. One day you'll stand before God. And when you stand before God, instead of hearing those, well, those words, well done and good, faith, good and faithful servant, maybe he'll just ask us the question. Did you mind your business? What a challenge. Mind your business. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your truth. And Lord, we've been challenged. And God, I recognize I so often fall short. I fall short in loving you with all of my heart, soul, strength, mind. Lord, you have challenged and convicted me. And Lord, humbly, I ask that you would take through the power of your spirit, your word today. And may your people mind your business of the first and greatest command. In Jesus' name, amen.